Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. I had, I had mentioned before we came on the air that uh, Sheila Horn has been on the show and she's somebody who came in later and joined the Brides and you kind of came in later and joined Parlette. And as a fan, um, you know, really just so into the music, never really gave that much thought to like this drama that was going on behind the scenes. So and <laughs> yeah, to hear it in retrospect is just very, very uh, fascinating. And uh, it's amazing, really, in hindsight, that the music was so good with that kind of stuff going on. It was motivated. I believe that it was a setup uh, by the men, especially um, at that time. I had to learn how to, as they say, free your mind and your ass will follow. No matter what is going on, the, your purpose, the cause is to lay these vocals. And so, you know, you had all this tension. I had joined Parlette before uh, Sheila uh, became a part before Jeanette Magruder, a.k.a. Satori Shakur, became a part of the Brides of Funkenstein. Even though, you know, I am interacting with uh, the brides, the brides being Lynn Mabry and Dawn Silva, you know, you're feeling all this tension from the women and, and the men. But this was caused by, it was in-house. It was caused by uh, the helm, the helm being George Clinton, you know, all of, you know, the, the big heads. Uh, and this was purposely done. And this tension, I believe, helped to create uh, the music, the excitement, you know. So yeah, uh, it was always tension. It was never a relaxed moment in the studio, but I was determined that um, I'm going to be the best that I can be. But no one really knew the tension that I was under. It was, it was a lot of tension, a lot of tension. I remember at the time, you know, getting it when it came out, every P-Funk record, the day it hit the record store, I was there getting it. And, um, you know, with like this one, you know, tracks like, you know, No Rump to Bump and Huff and Puff and all these great tracks and thinking, how come these aren't getting radio play? How come, 
you know, these aren't bigger hits. Um, and even as a fan, I felt like um, at that time, uh, surely I felt like um, there's no way that I don't know why, but it doesn't seem like the label maybe is pushing them as hard as, you know, Funkadelic and Parliament and Bootsy and some of these other groups. And the quality was there, but I didn't feel like, you know, it had as much push and support. So I'm sure that was frustrating on your end. It was very frustrating because I thought that's what it was all about, getting the music out. I heard Pleasure Principle on the radio. I was This is before um, I knew that it was a, a countrywide audition for uh, Parlette. I was excited about this record, The Pleasure Principle. It was like something you never heard before. And it seemed to be moving in the charts. And then there was nothing. I didn't understand the, uh, the, uh, the movement of the machine. It's a machine. I'm sure it had a lot to do with contractual, whatever the relationship was that George had with Neil Bogart, whatever it was that Neil Bogart and had envisioned, um, maybe it wasn't really happening the way he had envisioned it. Um, so, you know, that's that's some of the backstory. That's that inside stuff that only George can talk about. I think George speaks about a lot of that uh, relationship with uh, Neil Bogart pertaining to Malia Franklin in the book that we have coming out. Lord, please let it be sometime soon. <laughs> I've heard about uh, it for a while. Yeah. Yeah. 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> 15 years, Scott. Um, the Girl is Bad, written by Seth Nedlett, the only person who could write it. Okay. So that right there says a lot about <laughs> the the relationship, the turmoil that was happening between the, the groups. But I think it had a lot to do with uh, what Neil Bogart had envisioned. And he signed Parlette to Casablanca Records. I think he, George, had a three-record deal that he had to um, fulfill uh, for Neil Bogart. Things weren't going the way I believe he had he had anticipated. I don't believe that the record company knew about that sudden change in the group uh, personnel, that being Debbie uh, was unable to fulfill her role and then bringing in a new girl. I don't think Casablanca, Neil Bogart knew about that happening yeah a lot of politics 
Well, there's no Why? question. There's no question that records to the uh, second and third Parlet albums definitely uh, had a different sound from that first one. Um, but to me, you know, I mean, Pleasure Principle has its uh, pleasures too, no pun intended. Uh, but uh, the second and third ones to me are, are funkier overall. Um, I love that. Here's, here's this one for you, the vinyl. <laughs> Uh, album which, cover. Which, that which, album. Which, which one are you? The first one. Here? Yes. Yep. That's me. Um, what What was different on uh, the experience of doing this one versus the body centers? Or Why centers? did he decide to put? This is the first time because well, Pleasure Principle had the female caricatures, Debbie and, and Malia. And that album cover was very uh, political. Uh, also, The Pleasure Principle. I think, okay, so the Booty Snatchers didn't have the uh, human uh, form to it, the, the human look to it. So, um, I don't know. I guess it was it was time to introduce the second group because we had done we did the invasion of the booty snatchers. So we did the invasion of the booty snatchers and we did the play me a trade me. It was time to introduce even in caricature the second phase of Parlet or shall I say the third phase of Parlet. Because during the Play Me a Tray Me album, uh, Janice Evans came in. And, uh, you know, we were doing the vocals so heavy that it was just time to introduce uh, the audience, even in caricatures, to that third phase of uh, Parlette. Parlette has gone through three phases, I would say. We had a couple of um, opportunities to to really show, present our um, stage presence. And the first was at the L.A. Funk Festival. We did that. And that was with myself, Jeanette, and Malia. We did the European tour, but everything was falling apart as far as it wasn't just Parlette that was falling apart, that was crumbling. It was, um, you know, it was Bootsy's rubber band. It was uh, uh, Bernie and uh, uh, the rest of the guys. You know, everybody was disappointed in what was happening with, uh, with the situation being the, the financial uh, part aspect of the business the monies you know the monies weren't there and people were very disgruntled over the monies um, he had to show face there was there was a group there was a group called Parlette although we didn't have the bookings the um, the tour 
support that the Brides of Funkenstein had. They were signed with Atlantic. It was very, very, um, it's very murky there. I would like to hear what George has to say uh, about that period in time. Only he can tell us what was really happening at that particular time. Which of the uh, two Parlet albums are you most partial to yourself? I enjoyed both albums, uh, The Invasion of the Booty Snatchers, because that was my first stepping out with Parlet, uh, recording-wise. But Play Me or Trade Me, we had an opportunity to just get loose. So I would say... Um, I enjoyed um, Riding High. That was just, that was off of the uh, Riding High. Yeah, that was Invasion of the Booty Snatchers. So Invasion of the Booty Snatchers, I love Riding High. And it charted, from my understanding. Um, it did pretty well on, on the Rhythm and Blues chart. I think it hit 49 or 50, something like that. Um, on the musical charts. I enjoyed Play Me a Trade Me because that was, I had a chance to really uh, create, to, you know, to be myself more so, uh, vocally speaking, Play Me a Trade Me. So I don't know. Play Me a Trade Me. I knew, like, everything was so political, really, it was. I mean, you could hear the murmur going on. The murmur would play me a tray me. It just didn't feel as though George was um, interested. He didn't give us much assistance uh, as he had with uh, Invasion of the Booty Snatchers. I mean, you know, he was in and out. Um, he would have little ideas for this, that. But what play me or trade me, it just felt as though the end was near. Uh, play me or trade me, play me or trade me, I've got to have a game. Play me or trade, you know, the lyrics spoke of our uh, demise, so to speak. <laughs> and Jeanette was very disgruntled. I mean, she's being the you know, she was the only, she was the founding member uh, left. And she was so, she was so angry. She was just so full of angst. You couldn't communicate with her. And so my uh, vocals on the Play Me A Trade album, I guess you could say was my, um, Well, that was sort of my way of, of speaking uh, out, you know. I'm holding my position. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to stay, you know, attitude. Uh, I'm in front of this mic, and I'm going to stay in front of this mic, and you can't move me, <laughs> so to speak. I'm being very nice. <laughs> I have to choose my words carefully. <laughs> I can't say 
I'm not here to make waves. Um, I wish it was so that the women could, would come together because there's so much power in our uh, unity, but um, that has never been the case. It's sad, but it's never been the case. There, there's so much going on right then too. When you mentioned about George kind of off being doing something else, I mean, he was, I assume, very busy getting the Uncle Jam Records deal uh, off the ground, and you know, we all know what ended up happening to that, unfortunately. But um, so much was going on, a lot of transitions and a lot in personnel and business deals, uh, all at the one time. Mm-hmm. Did. Um, were you on the um, Knee Deep recording, Funkadelic? Yes. Yes, I was on Knee Deep. Parlette was on Knee Deep. You know, a lot of times, and from my understanding, um, the names of the personnel were not recorded on the albums. Uh, it could be under the name of, you know, Parlette. Thank you, Parlette. Yeah, Parlette was a part of, Everybody was a part, everybody that uh, worked in the, um, worked in the machine being um, uh, Felipe Wynn and, and Jessica Cleaves, uh, we were all a part of the Knee Deep. And uh, I love doing Knee Deep. It was just a, a, a free for all, you know, it was about 30 people. <laughs> singing so yeah we were all part of that so i was figuring i mean it sounds like everyone was on it so i was thinking you probably everyone were. Was on yeah. it. yes we had a lot of guest vocalists you know your girlfriend would be a part of that <laughs> you know come on geepies everybody come on in come on yes <laughs> so it was a big part knee deep was a big party yeah and then there were some newcomers at that time. Jessica Cleves was one of the newcomers at that time. And, uh, you know, she could have been the freak of the week. <laughs> you know, uh, there was uh, uh, Felipe Wynn who had decided, you know, this is what I'm going to do in the meantime, because it was really weird having Felipe there doing funk, but, you know, We don't know what was happening with him politically. He had left the spinners. I don't know what his uh, relationship really was with George. I don't know, but it was fun working with him. It was fun talking. You know, you, you're picking up lessons, life's lessons from all of uh, the interactions that you're having with these geniuses because they have their own internal conflicts going on. And people were so hush-hush. You, you never really knew what was going on. But the music was happening. Oh, man. So what was it like for you hearing so many of those songs on the radio, knowing that your voice was part of that? I was um, moved, of course, emotionally, spiritually moved by it. Okay, so you hear your voice but I need to get paid. And uh, that's the mantra, that's my mantra today. 
That's where I am today. I'm working on my legacy, okay? Uh, here it is. I'll be 70 this year. I started out with Parliament Funkadelic when I was 26, 27. So it's like 40 some years. And um, I want to collect. I am collecting residuals for the music that I recorded. Now, a lot of the music was hidden. A lot of the music was hidden. So uh, the time now in my life is to find that music so that I can collect the monies. Gary Scheider, this was, I don't know, about a year or two before Gary died. We were hanging out, this motorcycle club. I didn't know that Gary was sick at the time, that uh, he had a tumor on his brain. I did not know. But Gary Scheider sat up that night not writing anything down, gave me a list of the songs that I should be paid for. And that's what I'm looking for today. You don't hear that music. Where is it? So that's my quest. I'm, I'm, I want to find those songs because they were recorded. They're all hits. Atomic Dog. I mean, I sang on hits. And I am uh, in search. In search of these songs because, you know, we're, it's a generational thing. I have to pass this down. I have a child. I have a daughter. I have a granddaughter. So I have to put all this in motion. That's what time it is for me now to find my music, and um, it's a labor of love. I, I'm loving it. I, I'm really loving it. But there's so many distractions. You know, you have to be able to get quiet <laughs> and, uh, you know, do your research. So I'm learning how to do research. But this new technology is, is so easy, but I don't know it. I'm learning it. And I don't have anyone at this particular time to work with me. Because people are so busy trying to get you to record, you know, they want to use your voice. They want to miss, they want to use your voice, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of hit records, a lot of hit records. And well, it's I just so satisfying to hear it on the radio. But politically, I want to be paid. But, and even then I knew that we were to be paid because we did the work. Um, so how do you get paid? We joined the union. I, I thank George for that. We had to join the union when we um, went to Europe. When we prepared for Europe, we had to be union members. So he signed us, all those that went to Europe, he signed us all up. And so that's how I'm able uh, to be a part of AFTRA and uh, SAG. AFTRA is the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, and SAG is the uh, uh, movies. Yeah. 
So I um, trying to, I'm seeking help from AFTRA, which is slow coming, slow coming, but it's, um, <laughs> it, uh, it's very gratifying, very gratifying. You were one of the uh, handful of folks that continued on and appeared on all of George Clinton's Capitol records too, I think, right? Yep. So not just Atomic Dog, which was the first one, computer games, but he did three others too. And I think you're even on uh, also Cinderella Theory, did on Paisley Park. And, and so um, he was, you could tell me that. You can tell me that. You said... Um, the Cinderella Theory? Yeah, that's the one that came after the Capitol Records, uh, Prince's Paisley Park label. And then okay. um, you were also credited on Dope Dogs with the P-Funk All-Stars that came in the 90s. You know, it was start your, your music would start out being on one album. But then someone, I guess George, would take it and, and put it somewhere else. You know, so I don't know where the music is. And it is still amazing. Like right now, you know, you named the Dope Dogs. I didn't know that. I have seen my that's, name uh, under the people on All Star. Really? Mm. Okay. I will look for that. Didn't know that. And, uh, this was a cin Cinderella theory, was that one? Ah, okay. Fascinating. And then I'm sure Andre. Yes, that was um, shortly after. Let's see, that's another one. <laughs> okay. Who this, do this, I call this, this is a Japanese import, though. I'm not sure about its U.S. release. Okay, okay. Uh, what was the name of that company in Japan? Um, P-Vine? P-Vine Records. J Japan really helped keep P-Funk alive because in the eight, 80s and 90s, I mean, the uh, U.S. labels weren't putting out CDs of a lot of it, and uh, mm -hmm. they were the ones that were reissuing a lot of it. And, and you know, I mean, it's... Thank goodness, at least they appreciated it for a while while America was something turning its back look on into. it. Yeah, something to look into. But you know what? There's a lot of jealousy and envy in this business. Um, I don't know what it is today. I, I don't understand how the industry works today. I really don't. But back in the day, in the 70s, especially in the 70s, early 80s, um, people weren't so um open to sharing ideas sharing uh the business of the music maybe they didn't know i know that i didn't know the business of music i was learning the business of music i had questions and you would ask a question and the answer would be a question well where did you get that from you know <laughs> you know uh, where did that come from? And uh, I was asking questions. I bought this book. I guess it's a Bible, so to speak, for, you know, 
the business of music. It's called This Business of Music, I think is the name of it. Um, but I learned that, uh, you know, there was a lot of payola going on. Um, uh, people were really fighting, like Andre Fox, for example, to get a record deal. I didn't know how that worked. And no one, even if I wanted, like I said, I didn't know. I didn't know how to ask for it, what it entailed. I didn't know. And no one was sharing that information with me other than, um, well, Gary never talked about the record deal. Gary was instrumental in getting my voice recorded on all of the music. My voice is on many songs. I did a lot of work for Parliament Funkadelic. And, um, but I didn't know. I didn't know the business of music. So once you start asking questions, you know, well, what is this? You know, how do you do this? Um, Again, the organization was tumbling, it was crumbling, and no one had time. You know. It was all moving so fast. Yeah. It was moving too fast. You know, I walked into, we had, um, what was it called here in Detroit? Um, was it Detroit West? They had, Parliament Funkadelic had an office in LA. They had an office um, in LA. They had an office in Detroit. Uh, let's see, it was, the office in Detroit was uh, ran by Ron Dunbar, I believe it was. And, um, you know, we would report vocalists we would report to uh, this office in Detroit for assignments, so to speak, or just hanging out, you know, getting the, the latest info, just kicking it, seeing what's going on. Well, I walked into the office one morning and there were uh, people, uh, men moving the furniture out of the office. You know, it, it looked like they had been moving, uh, clearing the office of everything for a while. You know, it had been a while since I had been at the office. But uh, I had no idea that the company was folding under, right under our noses. But no one talked about it. You know, the people that knew what what was going on was those at the helm, being a George Clinton or a Dunbar, even a Bernie Warrell didn't really know. You know, Bernie's family has been fighting, still fighting for uh, his royalties. Um, I don't know how Boosie fared with his royalties. I think he had to fight George to get his money, to get some royalties. I don't know. But um, there wasn't a lot of conversation about um, 
maybe if I had slept around a little bit, I tend to think, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just, well, you know. You appeared on the Uncle Jam Records uh, like sweat, sweatband. Um, yes. Did you, did you I, know it was going to be for that new label or you didn't know what no, it was going to be for? Bootsy, Bootsy, thank you for reminding me. You have to help me with this because <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, another interview. And I had packed up all my notes and everything. It's like, oh, shit, I don't remember all of this stuff. There you go. Um, yes, that was a labor of love. I love doing the sweatband. I love it. I don't have that album. I need to have that in my collection. The Sweat Band, that was Bootsy. And that was an offshoot group. Um, and Parlette did the majority of the backup vocals on that album. We also brought our children in to do uh, backup work, you know, percussions, little percussion stuff. That was my daughter's first recording. <laughs> I think she was about seven years old. And uh, Judy was, um, Junie Worrell, I mean, Junie Worrell, Junie Morrison was uh, in charge of that session that particular afternoon, getting the children to play the different instruments, I recall. But there was a lot, you know, I think it was a lot of drugs going on try to stay away from that subject but it was a lot of drugs scott throughout the industry i mean so scott kinda... it was a lot of drugs there were dope dealers coming in this guy named nene montez i think and there was a doctor uh silva somebody they had big influences over what was happening musically with uh bootsy and george at that time like I say, I use the word political a lot. It was very political. But I think it was uh, a lot of drugs, drug-motivated underworkings going on. And uh, right now, I was never paid. I think I was paid $100 for that sweatband project. I have the paperwork today. And uh, I, I need to see if I could, if that paperwork would work for me today and getting residuals for that sweatband album. But it was a lot of drugs. It was a lot of drugs. And you couldn't get a head or a tail as a person like me, a, a lay person. I wasn't uh, privy to all of the inside because I wasn't doing drugs. You know, I wasn't hanging out with the big heads. <laughs> you and Maceo and uh, I had Carl Butch Small on recently. He's a great guy. Um, and I don't think he was doing it either. So, but uh, he talked about, you know, sort of being on the outside looking in as far as the drugs go. And that's what it was. That's exactly what it was. People like Maceo, Maceo kept me laughing. Uh, let's see. Maceo, what was that other horn? There was Rick Gardner, Maceo, and uh, Fred Wesley. Fred Wesley and uh, Kush. Kush, yeah. Kush. Yes. Fred was, uh, Fred had a lot going on. I, I recall Fred Wesley coming to our high school at one point. That was before, uh, that was, uh, that was at the height, that was at the beginning of the, the mothership, 
Yeah, yeah. He was friends. Macy, um, Fred Wesley was friends with the with the uh, band director at Northwestern High School. Um, with Brazil Gennard. I had some of the best teachers. I don't know. God has me. <laughs> I'm positioned to do something, Scott. I don't know what it is because now that I'm reflecting, looking, it's like, wow, I have been surrounded by greatness all of my life. But it was, it was like a uh, kaleidoscope, you know, the, the uh, toy, you know, mm -hmm. you're turning and you see all of this color and different shapes and and uh sizes and that's how it was it was uh it was like a kaleidoscope you you saw it but yet you didn't and did i want to see and hear everything no no i i didn't need to know everything that was going on because I had a life, I had a life outside of Parliament Funkadelic. You know, I had a small child and I had a family. I had a mom, a very uh, domineering mother <laughs> who didn't trust anything that I was doing with Parliament Funkadelic. Even though she came to our first show uh, that we did here in Detroit at the Masonic Temple, we opened up for, for a war uh, but it was just, it would have, it would have engulfed me. I didn't know. No, that was the protection of the almighty. That's what that was. I was protected. Yeah. By something greater. I was given the experience, but I was protected by something greater than myself. I had no idea. I couldn't tell people what I was encountering because they wouldn't believe it. You're out here with, you know, the biggest funk group in the world, black funk group in the world. You know, I mean, we broke barriers. You know, we're trendsetters, style setters. Yeah, okay, all that's great and fine. But there's another, there's an inner working going on. <laughs> had a lot to do with drugs and and I didn't understand all that. I didn't need it. It was too much. <laughs> too much to comprehend, honey. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.